somehow you have landed on the Not Mainstream Podcast with me, your host, Stuart Douglas. I am here in Israel with a nice glass of cheap white wine. In fact, I don't really know what it is. It just says dry white wine on the bottle, which that's good enough for me. This is episode one of the 2018-2019 season. Basketball is back officially. The NBA is back. The Israeli League is back. We are three games in, so I figured it was time to bring back the podcast because it always aligns with my time in Israel, a.k.a. my boredom in Israel, and my ambition to, uh, you know, hear myself talk and get my opinions out there because I'm narcissistic and I think I'm more important than I am. Yeah, that's probably it. I want to talk the NBA. The NBA is finally back. Basketball is back. This is why this, this podcast is back. I love the NBA. I'll talk some college basketball here and there, mainly just because I played it. But I don't really watch too much, but I'm so happy the NBA is back. What I am pissed about is there's no, there was no weekend day games for the opening weekend. So I had to stay up for like 1, 2, 3, 3 a.m., I'm not going to admit that part. But I stayed up pretty late to watch some of these games. But what saved me is a lot of these highlights. These uh, these YouTube highlights. I don't know if you've seen them. Like long, nine-minute highlight tapes. They're the best. I mean, they, I like, feel like I'm watching... Like, I get like a real flow of the game. The worst ones... Oh, my God. ESPN. Sports Center. The absolute worst highlights. It's like going from like a dunk... And some highlight play in the early third quarter to, and like one team's up 10 or 15, and then it's the fourth quarter and like somebody's hitting like a game-winning shot or missing a game-winning shot or something. It's just the worst. I don't understand what SportsCenter does. Like, I mean, nobody really watches TV anymore. Nobody nobody goes to SportsCenter for their highlights anyways, so I'm not even sure what I'm complaining about. They're, they're not really trying to fight for... For that uh, landscape, pretty much a lost cause. I should probably stop bashing Sports Center, but you know, ESPN deserves it more times than not. But I want to get into the Pacers. Obviously, I'm from Indiana. I want to get into some of the Pacers. I've watched a little bit here and there. I got some of the nice extended highlights. Shout out to MLG Highlights on YouTube. Um, puts together really good highlight packages. But I watched some of the Pacers. I want to talk about Miles Turner a little bit and his contract. Um, I haven't been overly impressed with Miles Turner. He's, you know, he's scored, he hasn't scored well. You know, I don't really care about shooting early on. Um, he has not scored well, but he just doesn't look like he's a number two piece. I mean, he's not, let's be, if we're being honest, he's not a number two piece to number two piece to probably even an Eastern well, a contender, the way the East shapes, the way the East is now. But, you know, he's definitely not a number two piece on a winning title team. Probably not on, probably not a third option on a winning title team. I mean, he could develop into that. Um, but, but that's the whole point with this contract. I mean, whether you like it or you don't like it, the Pacers had to sign Miles Turner to this, to this extension. And he wanted to stay. I mean, he loves Indy. He loves the fans. The fans love him. He's got that infectious smile. You know, it, it, it was a no-brainer from that standpoint. But it's a no-brainer because you're not going to get much else unless you're going to trade him. I mean, 
you know, there's really nothing else you can do. People were upset when the Pacers offered that that large contract to um, Aaron Gordon this summer when he was a restricted free agent. And people are like, oh, well, he's, you know, he's not going to put us over the top and blah, blah, blah. But the Pacers aren't, aren't going to sign big, unrestricted free agents. They're just not going to get those guys. What they're going to get are those young guys. They're going to take gambles on restricted free agents. And they have to just hope they hit. And that, that's what, that's what the, the offer sheet to Aaron Gordon was. I mean, they were hoping that he was going to be the foreman that they've been hoping for, that they've been looking for. I mean, they're obviously going to move on from Thad Young after this year. And you have to take those types of gambles as the market that Indiana is and just the way that the franchise has been set up. Um, you know, guys don't want to go there. And that's what happened with Paul George. I mean, I, if you look at the team that Paul George had in his last year, I mean, it's, a, it's easy to see what, what he was complaining about. I mean, you can say all you want about how he did it, but he was right in what he was saying. I mean, Jeff T was his number two. Miles Turner, age 20, was his number three. And then you go down Thad Young, Monte Ellis, CJ Miles, Lance Stevenson, Glenn Robinson, Ronnie Stuckey, and then maybe, maybe LaVoy Allen, but not really. That was a team. And they weren't, I mean, the, the big signing was Monte Ellis. All right, that, that busted. Thaddeus Young was, was a great sign, but, you know, it's not putting you over the edge. You have to take those risks with guys like Aaron Gordon, with the extension to Miles Turner. Um, you know, you're not going to get anywhere unless you take those risks or you get lucky in the draft. If you see any, any team that's ever won a championship, I mean, look, take the Golden State Warriors, for instance. They got lucky because Steph signed a very cheap contract because of injury concerns. And maybe Miles, I mean, Miles isn't going to turn to Steph Curry. Maybe Miles is that cheap-ish contract. Um, you know, it wasn't a max. So that, that's, a good, that's a plus for the Pacers. So, I don't know. You know, you can only hope. It's not likely to happen. Don't get your hopes up. But you have to take those risks or else you're just going to be nothing. You're just going to be middle of the pack like the Pacers have been with a guy like Paul George. And if you're going to surround, you have to find guys to surround Victor Oladipo. You have to take advantage of Victor Oladipo while you can. It seems like Vic can retire in Indiana. I think he loves Indiana as much as Miles does. Um Obviously, being in Bloomington, that'll make you fall in love with India, that's for sure. Uh, but uh, you have to surround Vic with players. You had, you had to surround Paul George with players. You didn't. I mean, you took some low-level risks, but you, you have to swing for the fences in the NBA or, you know, it's just not going to get done. I mean, you can play all the defense you want, but it's not going to work. You need, you need guys who are going to score. You need guys you know you're going to score in the playoffs to come up big. And uh, we'll see. I mean, I'm not... I've not been impressed with Miles, how he's looked, his aggressiveness in the first few games, but whatever, it's three games. I mean, in all honesty, we started our season this year. I've been shit in the first three games, shooting-wise. I'm not worried. You know, I've started off, well, maybe not as bad in the first three games, but I, I, I've shot poorly for a year before, for about half a year. Almost got cut my first year because I shot so poorly. And I picked it up, shot the best I ever ever have for the second half of the season kept my contract it was all good i mean things can turn around for for miles but uh he's gotta he's gotta pick it up a little bit he's not he can't be so passive uh, when he has the ball in his hands i mean he's only shot 
what, seven times, 12 times, and eight times, it's not nearly enough. I mean, he hasn't played too many minutes, but, uh, you know, I think there, there's definitely room there for him to grow. Anyways, moving on, I could talk about that for a while. What I do like, some, some quick hitters for I want to talk about the Lakers fight, which is hilarious. Um, but I will proclaim here, and I, and I said it on Twitter, I'm, I'm here for a Zach Levine all-star bid. I'm also here for a Karis LeVert all-star bid. That would be awesome because Karis has looked really good. But if Zach, if either of those guys get an all-star bid, I'll buy their jersey on the spot because, I mean, you're going to get some of those guys in the East. It's just going to happen. You need guys that, and you're going to get those terrible comparisons. Well, this guy in the West should have got it because they used to so bad. Whatever, man. It's the all-star game. We got to quit. We have to quit like using all-star bids as these pinnacles of of judging players. I mean, didn't Kobe get one when he was hurt? Like when he when he was out? I mean, guys got it when they're injured, when they're old and not. It doesn't matter, man. It's just votes. Like, who gives a shit? All NBA teams are really what I would look at if you want to look at awards. But anyways, awards are, you know biased as it is let alone the all-star vote is the most biased thing there is possible i don't know why we rank things on that all-star games are dumb and quit looking at those for judging players the lakers fight was hilarious i was not expecting it i didn't i fell asleep obviously i can't catch all the games but i woke up in my routine is coffee and NBA highlights. And I was watching the, the highlight, the extended highlight. So obviously it caught the whole fight. And I was not expecting it. But immediately it looked super aggressive. About the best fight I've seen in the NBA in years. You know, it wasn't one of those hold me back, hold me back fights that are infamous in the NBA. You know, nobody's really going to throw a punch because they're scared. Because the, the, the repercussions were much harsher than, than what these guys got. And that was what I was thinking during it it's like okay somebody's gonna get suspended probably five to ten games each like all these guys but i think chris paul got two rondo got three i think ingram got four or five something it was less way less harsh than i thought it was gonna be but it makes a lot of sense i read an article about uh some gms thinking that it was gonna be way harsher it even recalled back to a fight that Melo had i think he missed 10 to 15 games because of a fight in denver in 06 I believe that was a different NBA and I don't think I think this actually helps the NBA's image honestly because the the biggest thing that old heads and anyone like 40 and older really 30 and older have against the NBA is they they call it soft they just they say the NBA is soft Um, no no longer like when I was growing up it was a oh they travel and they carry the ball that was my favorite they carry the ball all the time that was just because of Allen Iverson uh yeah they travel too much and and it's ridiculous it's like okay that's your biggest that's why you watch college basketball because of NBA guys travel get the hell out of here but now it's the NBA is soft and it's mainly because guys just shoot threes and and you know don't go in the paint as much anymore or they don't battle down down low with bigs but i mean fights like this can only help i believe i mean it'll it'll seem it's not tough like fighting like that is not tough i mean rondo is a child for spitting in cp3's face 
and then throwing a punch because he pushed him like i mean it's soft but it's not going to look that way the old heads like fighting people they love fighting the only highlights you get of old nba i mean half of them is just that one lakers and celtics series where guys were had like a few plays where they hit each other and the one where they clotheslined uh the white dude with the rec specs i can't remember his name it was like they recall like four highlights just to say the nba was tougher back then or like the couple times that the one series that they the pistons put jordan on his ass in the paint like okay yeah we can show highlight packages for days in the in the early 2000s and now about and just say it's just as tough it doesn't make any sense it's it's dumb but whatever that's a perception and perception is reality to fans so i don't know you know it's not malice of the palace black eye you know they're not worried about Charles Oakley getting in fights anymore and, and teams scoring 80 and, and trying to change the rules and change um, the way the game is played so it's not as just grinded out and ugly as it used to be. I mean, not even 15 years ago, 20 years ago. So I think this will help because there's been a drastic change in the NBA, obviously. I also didn't realize... I mean, I knew CP3 was annoying. I always felt he was annoying. I think most people think he's annoying. But I really didn't, it really didn't solidify, get solidified for me until Rondo hit him. Like, right when I saw him make contact, I was like, a little part of me was happy. <laughs> and, and, you know, again, Rondo was wrong for spinning his face. If you see, there's, a, there's a, actually an angle in a close-up, a high-definition video of Rondo clearly spitting at CP3. So CP3 was right to get mad, but it was still just like, mm, good, really good shot in Freud to see CP get hit. I mean, he didn't get hit that hard, but it was it was enough to enjoy it. On to my pet peeve of the week. This is probably going to be my favorite segment because I have so many of these. And first to supply us this year with the pet peeve of the week is none other than Will Kane of ESPN talking head, caricature. I mean, I probably shouldn't be giving his quotes um, so much so much time, but it's just it's so funny. And he, and he speaks, he really does speak for a lot of people. But his quote was about Odell Beckham Jr. and leadership. After that, after his comments on Eli Manning, after that hilarious interview that Odell did with Lil Wayne for whatever reason, doesn't matter because it was perfect TV. I mean, ESPN just does those interviews right and that, I mean that was perfect and it gave us a lot of great quotes and and Will Kane didn't like it because OBJ called out Eli rightfully so because Eli has just been a shell of himself what he was years ago I mean it was never nobody ever called him the best quarterback in the league or even really put him in that elite category but you know he won and he got the job done, but um, they've been waste. OBJ's been wasting away in New York for the for the past couple of years, especially this year. And you know, Odell doesn't like it. And yeah, I get it. Whatever. Maybe they should move on from Eli. They even flirted with it a little bit. But anyways, here's part of the quote. Even if Eli is the problem, even if Odell is telling the truth, does it make it 
good leadership to go on the airwaves of ESPN and call it out? No. His job was not to be a media commentator. His job was to be a member of the New York Giants. Now, has his troop helped the Giants, or did it divide that locker room? Then he goes on for a little bit. Basically says he doesn't think it's good leadership. Okay? And my pet peeve is that he has no damn idea what goes on in that locker room. I mean, it helped the next game. They, they scored 30 points for the first time in, it was like over a year, I think. Odell had over 100 yards. I mean, they threw him the ball. They targeted him. They threw it downfield. You know, it sent, it, sent a, it sent a bit of a message, whether the team liked it or not, whether Eli liked it or not, whether the coach liked it or not. I don't know. Certainly worked the next week. Um, they, they, they lost the following week to Philly and didn't score. But, you know, you, don't, you have no idea. People always talk about leadership. And I talk about this from a personal standpoint because I got it a lot and I heard about it a lot at Michigan. And, you know, certain guys are just kind of thrust into leadership positions. And certain things are looked at from the outside as leadership. When, when you're inside the locker room, it's not really seen as leadership as much as it is from the outside. And you get a lot of these, a lot of these TV clips and sound bites, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. is hitting a kicking net or sending off a quote. And, you know, maybe it's immature, but you have no idea what goes on in that locker room or who respects him in that locker room or who doesn't respect him in that locker room. I mean, you have no idea what kind of relationship he has with his teammates. Unless, unless you get quotes from teammates saying certain things and coded or not coded that, you know, they don't respect this guy and, and, and whatever, kind of like what you've gotten from Carl Anthony Towns' uh, situation with Jimmy Butler and that whole ordeal that I'm not going to go into. But you just have no idea what is being said. And, you know, I got all the time because, like, in college, I play very even-keeled and don't really show emotion. And my teammate Novak showed a, a, a lot of emotion. We were, like, the exact opposite in that way. It was really intense, and I was really calm. And we both had different styles. And for the longest time, I had the battle, the perception that I couldn't be a leader unless I was like a, that type of guy, like a hoorah type of guy. And, you know, it wasn't fake for Novak. It, you know, he was that intense, like, all the time. And, you know, he wasn't like a hoorah guy, but he was that intense all the time. I wasn't, you know. That's just who I was. That just wasn't what I was. And I couldn't fake that. And I wasn't going to fake that because it wasn't going to come out naturally. And what was natural was for me to be the exact opposite of that to be the supportive guy behind the scenes, in the locker room, making sure guys are okay, you know, getting on guys when they have to be, when, it, when it's needed. But, you know, not in a way where it's like that Bob, Bob Knight style. You know, it's just everybody has their different styles of leadership. So when Will Kane says these quotes about OBJ and leadership and whatever, it's hilarious. First of all, from the wide receiver position when he's obviously your best player and most skilled player and he brings it every day um, and he's passionate about it. You know, it's just funny to see the perception that you that he put on Odell Beckham Jr. based on what he thinks leadership is and how it should look. And 
I'm just here to remind you that that's stupid. That's dumb as hell. Don't do that shit. Don't look at another guy and be like, oh, he's not a leader because of like one thing you see or a soundbite, whatever. You, you have no idea how guys feel about it. I mean, you can get that. You can collect quotes from teammates. You can collect quotes and, and video clips, what, what have you, from like a full season or years. But don't use one thing. And I know OBJ, you know, he's had certain, he's had kind of years of these things. But again, even with all those years of like OBJ showing his immaturity, uh, if that's what you think it is, I mean, you still have no idea. It seems like the wide receiver group really likes him. When, when, when OBJ signed that big highest contract, when he finally got that extension for what he's worth, the receiver celebrated with them like like they had gotten the money. There was a video of them in the locker room dancing. I don't know, maybe it was for show, but I would doubt it. I mean, it'd be hard to fake that kind of enjoyment for a teammate, especially when it comes to something as delicate as money, because that is extremely difficult to to celebrate for another guy. I mean, that's probably the most that's 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 harder to celebrate for uh, another guy than actual physical like stats and success way more difficult but yeah so I, I i beg of you i beg of you no matter what sport you're watching whatever your whatever team is whoever it is i mean you know don't really really look into how you project your ideas of leadership onto some player that you think should be a leader or 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 maybe you build up um leadership qualities of a guy that you didn't expect to be a leader just because it's not expected like you have all sorts of biases so i pray that you please do not do that because otherwise i'm gonna think you're annoying and um you know that's probably the worst thing in the world that you can be because i am the proprietor of all that is annoying and all that is right in this world um and that's why i have a podcast to basically hear my own voice and and let people know when they're right or wrong you can just ask my wife or my family. Uh, they'll let you know. It's, it's been pretty consistent throughout the years. But uh, thank you, Will Kane, for being just a fountain of these things. And now I'm kind of contemplating whether I should just do a Will Kane segment every week because I feel like that would be real easy, but I also feel like that would be super stressful and depressing because then I have to combat all of these sorts of mentality, mentalities around sports. I don't know, I'll get back to you, but, I, but now that I'm contemplating it, it just seems way too, way too stressful. Okay, I'm going to end this episode with some quick rapid fire questions that I asked on short notice from, from my Twitter followers, and they somehow came through with some pretty good stuff. I was literally expecting zero questions. And I think, I mean, maybe not the best questions in the world, but, I mean, it is what you make it. So here's number one. On a scale of one to ten, how petty is today's NBA? Oh, boy. Probably, well, th- that's the thing. The NBA has always been petty. Athletes have always been petty, Okay. Not even in those like rough and rough eras, the rough and tough eras, the 80s and the early 90s. 
Like, those guys were still petty, and they're all emotionally children. I mean, that's why you get in fights over little shit like that. That, like, basically it's just, like, occupational hazard, and then you're going to be a baby about it because you think you're a tough guy. Okay, so the NBA has always been petty, but the pettiness is different now because you can get on social media and be petty, and it's just, oh, it's just gold. I mean, Joel Embiid is, is like, the most lovable petty ever. I've never seen petty been perfected and actually used as a marketing strategy and used to make you lovable. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. I don't think it gets enough credit. I don't think he gets enough credit for, for who he is personality-wise. I mean, because honestly, like, I don't know. Nobody's ever done it before. And it needs to be praised way more often, and we need to see way more of it. But he's pretty strategic with that. He doesn't, that's the thing, is he's not like Draymond Green in your face all the time. I'm going to kick you in the nuts and like, I don't know, push you the first possession to like send a message. Like Joel just kind of like is. He just like, he just is. And he doesn't force the issue with the pettiness. And I think it's just, just mm, beautiful. It's, I can't get enough of it. And I hope it continues. And I hope the social media pettiness grows. Okay, next question. Sup? Not much, Johnny. Sup with you. Next one. What will Karis LeVert's end-of-season stacks look like? I don't know. But they have seemed to give Karis the ball early on. And I was a bit surprised because they have Dinwiddie. And Dinwiddie's been so good. And every every statistic and analytic will... Is that the right word? Statistic and analytic? I don't know. The analytics prove that. Dinwiddie's been very good. And Karras has just been getting the ball way more. I mean, they've been starting Karras and, and D'Angelo Russell. And Dinwiddie's been coming off the bench, which, I mean, I think Dinwiddie's a fantastic guy to come off the bench. But I, I didn't expect them to be coming off the bench. I thought Karras would be like a sixth guy to come off and just, you know, come off the bench and put up shots. But he's been getting the ball early on, running ball screens, running the team, I think, just as much as D'Angelo, maybe more. I don't know. I need to watch more games. But if this keeps up, I think he really could get consideration for an all-star bid, obviously. But the question is if it can keep up. Uh, but the way that the NBA is going now with the scoring, I mean, it's been, it's been ridiculous in the first few games. We'll see. I think I think he can definitely score over 20 a game. I don't know what that will put you in the East uh, by the time the all-star game comes around. But he's more than capable, and he's really smart. Uh, you know, he's not one of these young guys who's just going out and jacking up shots just to get up shots. Like, he, he knows how to play the game. So, all right, bold prediction. He's scoring over 20 a game with, you know, what he's got now, about four rebounds, four assists a game. Uh, all-star bid, I don't know, but I, I, I hope for it because I think he could be really good in the NBA and one of those guys that later on can be a huge piece uh, maybe not a two or, or three, third op, second or third option on, on a winning team, on a title contending team, but I think it'd be a huge piece on one of those teams down the road. But he's going to get a lot of money, so and it's going to be a few years before something like that happens. Uh, you know, one of those guys into his thirties, but he's going to get a a big ass contract uh, when his contract is done. Next one: Who is Michigan's most important player this year? I have no idea. Honestly, I have not looked at the roster, and I will not know the answer to this question for me until probably like the first game. Or like, 
you know, I follow enough Michigan Twitter. I don't know. Somebody will plant a seed in my head uh, on Twitter here in like a week or two. And But I would guess it's Xavier. I mean, I thought it was going to be Xavier last year. And I think he's, uh, you know, that point guard position is crucial. So we'll see. Next one. Y'all should do a first-person recap of that 2011 win in East Lansing after what happened two days ago. By that, he means Michigan football beating Michigan State at Michigan State. That would be pretty good. That's a good idea. I That is a blur to me. I don't remember games that well, but I think when basketball season rolls around and they play at Michigan State, maybe I can get, a, maybe I can get Novak on to, to first-person recap all that and his beautiful blow-up that he had. That I guess was at me. I don't know. I, I learned that last year. I didn't realize he was blowing up at me. Next question. Why do you think they decided to make orange the official color of basketballs? Fantastic question. Um, and I have the answer. Obviously, if you've ever seen a picture, you would know that James Naismith original balls mm-hmm, were brownish. Okay. They were brownish because they're leather. And then the legend has it that in the 50s, there was a movement to turn the ball orange so it would be easier for players to see. And actually, Indiana people, you will absolutely love this. It was Tony Hinkle, who the Hinkle Fieldhouse is named after. The old, the longtime Butler University head basketball coach. Thought it was too difficult for you know players and fans to see the Browns, so he wanted to change it. And he just decided on orange. And in 1957, Hinkle worked with the Spalding Company to develop a new basketball. And it says the orange color ball made its debut in the 1958 NCAA Finals in Louisville, Kentucky. Impressed with the easy-to-see color, the NCAA adopted the ball and is now a standard for all basketball organizations. Which, funny enough, the Wilson ball that they used in the tournament is way more brown than orange. And so, whatever. Go figure with that. And that's probably the best basketball I've ever played with. So... Who knows? Brown, orange. I don't give a shit. Anyways, moving on. Two more. One, what was your favorite part about playing with Ant Wright? Uh, well, it's probably not. Probably can't put that on air. So, maybe I'll have Ant uh, on to explain himself. Actually, he'd probably be a pretty good guest. And if you're listening, you need to come on the podcast. Last one. Not really a question, but from my guy Josh, who I work with at the Athletes Post. He says, and he actually added Coach Beeline in this tweet, which is bold, Josh. Christ. Get at John Beeline on to corroborate your past stories. Yeah, I'm not not really sure... One, that's a good idea for me uh, to expose John to the stories. And two, that's just not, that's not his style, you know? He's not, uh, he's not, he's not big into bringing up anything of the past unless it's completely positive. And, and I don't think the past is, uh, you know, it's not fun to dig up positive past. It's fun to dig up, like, uh. The bad stuff, you know? It's more interesting that way. The good stuff's easy. The bad stuff is uh, way more interesting. It's way more fun. So, if we're going to talk about those past stories, I don't think he'd like that. I've written some things that... I always wondered if he sees them 
or if somebody has like showed him, I would doubt it. I'm not, I'm not too, uh, well, I mean, I'm pretty narcissistic, but I'm not narcissistic enough to believe that he's uh, following the Stuart Douglas beat on Twitter or my blogs or podcasts. But uh, I was wondering what he thinks about some of the things that I've written and or said. I probably can't like it, but, you know, what are you going to do? All right, that is the show. That is episode one of the 2018-2019 season. Really appreciate all the listeners out there. It's like my by my mom. I, I don't even think my wife's going to listen to this. But if you are listening, I appreciate you. Hit me up on Twitter with your questions, comments, concerns. Tell me I suck. I'm all for that. I miss that from college. I really do. It was so much fun getting those tweets and the guys that were bold enough and it was always men or boys who would tweet at me and if they're bold enough to at me tell me I sucked and then you get to respond to them and then they back down because typically they were drunk or just emotionally drunk because they can't control their emotions when they when they watch Michigan basketball or anything Michigan because that's what college fans do but yeah that was always fun to get them to say sorry uh, or like then be supportive afterwards just hilarious. Just fandom in a nutshell. Anyways, I appreciate you guys. Try to do this eh, weekly or bi-weekly. And uh, if you could, tweet at Jordan Morgan because I'm trying to get him on the podcast. And he wants to be on, but he's kind of kind of been flaky lately. And I'm going to call him out for it. But uh, hopefully he's the next guest. And hopefully I have some more interesting guests on later um, within the Big Ten and outside. Just whoever I find interesting, so it doesn't really matter what you say. But, yeah, that is it. Appreciate it.